Welcome to another week on Let's Get Real with Coach Menachem Show, Sunday Nights. Originally a Zoom interactive platform where we discuss real life scenarios with real live people. Okay, everybody. I'm there. Hi, Robert Russell. Good morning. Hi. Where's the Israeli Turkish coffee? Good night. I got my coffee. Don't worry, I got my coffee. I'm going to sleep now. We'll start soon. Okay, everybody, welcome to the program. Um, tonight is going to be our 19th year, Baruch Hashem. We are really uh, doing very well. It's been uh, we're pretty full, Rabbi Russell, until uh, a little bit after the end time over here. And uh, the platform was really expo- exploding. I want to thank all our viewers, for everybody posting on the WhatsApp statuses and ads and telling people about the program. We really, really appreciate it. I want to first start off thanking our advertising sponsors, the Lakewood Scoop, for always promoting us every week here in Lakewood and really pushing the program. I want to give a thank you to Rabbi Anif from Chazak. Uh, for always pushing us on their platform, Chazak is programming for all. For more information and to be part of it, please go to chazak.org. I want to give a really special thank you to Mrs. Nika Sofer from COO Live for promoting this program on her website, which is a, it's a big website out there. And a very, very special thanks to Mrs. Chayla Kaufman and Shmuel Sommer from JCN, Jewish Network, Content Network, for always promoting us and putting us across all the Jewish platforms. We really, really appreciate it. Um, again, just to, before we start, it's a really, you know, the program is really growing. Over the next few weeks, we're booked. So everybody, we'll discuss a little bit later. We have next week, we have Chase Taub coming on, discussing some uh, things we're missing in our marriage. We'll get to that a little later, followed by a judge, Judge Butler from Pittsburgh. Um, but let's start off with opening statements from Coach Menachem. Coach Menachem, please open up. Thank you, Ushi, again. Welcome, everyone, to another show. Let's get real with Coach Menachem Sunday nights, where we get together to discuss real questions, real things with real people. And I would like to thank the sponsor and the whole Let's Get Real team for putting this together and making this a huge success. And Abshimim, before I thank you for being here tonight with us, I just want to let you know the overwhelming positive feedback we got from last time that you were on, the physic, the guidance, the clarity was really, really amazing. And thank you so much for being here with us again. And I would also like to, to thank the organization Kesha Nafshi, who giving us, gave us the honor for presenting tonight. Tonight's topic, paving the way f- uh, for struggling teens by understanding their journey. Now, the words struggling teens is very broad. And you have from parents who have regular healthy teens to parents who have seen the worst. And then there are those who have passed the years of teens and are struggling. So it's a very broad topic and hopefully we'll be able to get some prevention tips, awareness, physic, and some guidance to Mitz Hashem. This show is very interactive, question, answer, the energy. Sometimes it goes very fast, question, answer, question, answer. But when you're talking about real serious struggles and people who are going through real pain Sometimes there is no straightforward answer, and sometimes there's no answer, other than Tfilla and uh, a little bit of Aristoteles, which we'll discuss tonight. But we have to be aware that the, even though the, the question answer, we're not taking away from, uh, from understanding the emotional part, uh, the pain that, that people are going through. Now, I want you to imagine for a minute, it's late at night, and you're getting ready to go to sleep. And you get a phone call. 
and you see it's a very good friend of yours. You pick up, hello? You can hear on the other, on other side, you can hear in their voice, there is something wrong. Now your thoughts start racing and it goes to the worst places, the worst possibilities, divorce, illness, foreclosure. In your mind, you tell yourself right away, I better not say anything. I'm just gonna listen. And that's exactly what you do. You listen to what they have to tell you and they tell you they have to share with you something that they have never shared before and the worst comes out. Now after they finish, you have nothing to say. Just, you can't believe it, it's just crazy. Nothing you can do. All you can do is be there with them, cry with them, and that's it. You tell your friend, I have no words. You cry with them a few minutes, and you tell them I'm here for you whenever you need. Whenever, whatever, just let me know, give me a call. You would never say anything negative, even if in your mind you think that maybe they did something wrong, or you, you're thinking you saw it coming, but you wouldn't say it. You just listen. Now, basically, that's called validation. Validation doesn't mean you agree or approve to what they were saying. But it's basically listening to what they're saying and there's no right or wrong. Just listening. You can ask more questions, tell me more, and that's it. Most of us are very good at validating another friend. Now, I want to take it to the next level. Self-validation. Why when we think of our own struggles, our hardships, we knock ourselves, we're harsh, and the negative voices just keep on coming. They make us feel guilty, inadequate, and all those different negative thoughts. In order to cope in any struggle, you need to be able to validate yourself. You sit down with a cup of tea, just like you would with a good friend, and just listen without any judgment. And you can say, I did the best I could with the knowledge I had. Now, self-validation is much harder than to validate a friend. Number one, you can't hang up the phone when you're done. You know, with the friend, you're finished. <laughs> but yourself, you're always there. And number two, the thoughts are your own thoughts. Those are the thoughts that you were quiet when your friend was talking. But now it's your thoughts. The struggle is real and sometimes heavy. You need to validate yourself in order to continue doing the work you are doing. The one person that understands what you are doing and what you are going through and how you feel is you. So don't be harsh on yourself. Don't knock yourself. Listen to yourself. Validate without judgment. No right or wrong. Just listen to yourself. And sometimes there's nothing you can do. After you daven, you said tell him, you tried everything. You can cry together with yourself and just be there with compassion and say, whenever you need me, I'm here for you. So I, was, I just want to say a tefillah to the Bani Shalom. Hashem should help that, that tonight, the Mitzvah Hashem should be a big Kiddush Hashem and a big Chizik for all of us. And Hashem should be Chonadas, whatever we need. And the Mitzvah Hashem should be, come out from this a big Chizik. Shkoyach. Thank you, Coach Menachem, for the opening words. Tonight, as a special sponsor, is Chosrufu Shalema. For us, very, uh, somebody not feeling well, I'm going to say one capital to Elo Menachem, you'll lead us.
We're going to put up Tehillim 130. Menachem, could you read it out loud? Anybody could say it with us. It would be appreciated. Menachem, go. It's more. Next year, Mitzvah Shem, together with the Tehillim Shavuos, Chos for Chushlema, and everything should go good. Tonight's show is going to be an incredible show tonight. We have Rav Shimon Russell live from Eretz Yisrael, fresh, 5.08 a.m. in the morning. Five talks. Don't worry, he wakes up every day this time. It's not a big deal. Let's give everybody a little quick background on how the show came about. The reason why the show, Rav Shimon came back, Rav Shimon was, was one of our original guests. And we're trying not to do repeats, but by, by being pushed by popular demand, uh, we got Rav Shimon back. The little, little background over here, there's, a, there's an organization called Kesher Nafshi. It's run by Rev Gedalia Miller. And uh, one of the co-runners of the show is uh, of the organization, Rav Shlomo Lippmann. He called me up a few weeks ago after we had Rav Xero from Mississippi to town together with Yossi Schaefer, discussing you know, issues with teenagers. And he said, we got to get Rav Shimon on. we got to discuss this topic in a little bit more, getting into more detail. Uh, this weekend was supposed to be actually a Shabbaton uh, together with this organization with 700 plus people. Rav Shimon was supposed to be the Femeritz Yisrael. It got canceled due to COVID and got rescheduled for November 12th through November 15th. Mr. Shem, I, me and Coach Menachem plan to go. Mr. Shem, I don't know if Rav Shimon, hope you're still planning on coming. Um, so they had a small event today. It's actually upstate in the rally in the hotel. They have 250 people watching live streaming um, on a big screen. So hello, everybody in the other planet. Tell you hello, all 250 people. We're here. You asked Rav Shimon, we got him for you. Um, and thank you for pushing it, Rav Shimon, pushing me to getting it together. Uh, again, let me just give a little breakdown of what's going on over here because there's a lot happening at once. We got tonight tremendous amount of questions, about 75 plus questions sent in for Rabbi Russell tonight, personal questions, very detailed questions. We spent hours of work going through the questions and trying to group them, to put them in order tonight. As always, we're gonna to try to get to as many questions as possible. We received also many emails from teenagers as well tonight. And we're considering doing a teenage only program as well in the future to answer all their questions. So for tonight, if anybody has any questions, again, it's an interactive program. Please open up your cameras. We'll try to get to some questions. We, we have our little agenda over here because we got so overwhelmed with questions and we're really going to try to cover ground. And uh, as far as Rav Shimon, anybody, you know, anybody who's, who has, who's going through this, I'm sure I've heard of Rav Shimon Russell. If not, Rav Shimon Russell, uh, 30 plus years in, this, in the industry of therapy and dealing with uh, these type of issues. He's lived in Lakewood for many years. Very close friend of mine. We have a lot of relationships, 10 plus years. And uh, I'm a big chassid of his, like a lot of other people. And uh, anybody who doesn't know him, get to know him now. He's, he's moved to Israel, so people in Lakewood, you know, we miss you here, we need you here. Rav Shimon, please open up for the oil. Okay, Rav Gusher, Menachem, thank you, Shkoich, and Shkoich for inviting me back, and Shalom to all the Keshe Nafshi people. I miss you all, I wish I was with you, and it's Hashem in November. We'll get to it. We, I, I understand from Rav Gusher, the passion is deep, and uh, there's a ton of questions to get through tonight. We'll do the best we can. Uh, and we'll do what we can. So the name Shelton, we have Siyatid Shmaya to be Mechazik, everyone. So the first question we have to do, we have to clarify, who are we discussing tonight? Any discussion ever of parenting issues, teenagers, kids, you have to decide who are you talking about. So I, personally, I look at teens as divided into three different groups. There are regular teens doing well, there are struggling teens, 
and then there are teens in serious crisis. So I intend to address mostly the middle group, the struggling teens, unless the question you're asking me obviously addresses the third group. I'm most definitely not discussing the first group. We're not talking about regular conventional chinuch. If you hear me thinking I'm guiding on regular, normal teenager chinuch issues, it's not the case. So please put that aside. The numbers are probably way, way, way more than most people realize it or accept. I would guess that about 10 to 20% of the kids, all the kids across the board, are excelling in school relatively easily. They can do it. The system works for them and they're having a good time, a really good time. About 10 to 20% of the kids are failing or they've given up already. It's just too hard for them. That leaves about 60% of the kids who are struggling very, very hard to make it in school. They often feel overwhelmed and challenged to get good grades. Most importantly, they don't feel appreciated by school and home. They frequently turn to non-mainstream behaviors just to get a needed lift to their spirits or, or simply help them disconnect from their pain. So in addition to, to teens in serious crisis, these kids too, the 60%, they desperately need our focus, our attention, our caring. They're really struggling and they need us. As a general principle, and just to avoid too much confusion, let me explain this following. There are two sugyas in today's world of chinuch. This should help anyone, you know, a little older who's still trying to deal with the way they were brought up and trying to bring up their kids that way. There are two sugyas. There's the sugya of regular chinuch. Regular chinuch habonim. And then there's a sugya, I call it crisis chinuch. In the regular chinuch habonim sugya, it's defined by Mishle Yugimel, Chaisich Shiftasani Benoi, spare the rod, spare the child. In regular chinuch, Strong parental discipline with firm boundaries and controls will simply not prevent their teens from respecting and loving their parents and following their footsteps. I believe that still applies to the 10 to 20% of our kids. It works and it works well and not to do it is really not right. They need it. The second sugya is crisis chinuch. In crisis chinuch, parents need to modify and sometimes let go of external discipline and control when and if they see that these controls drive their kids away from them and make them rebellious. As many Gedalia Solov said to me, in a, such a case where doing regular chinuch causes rebellion, you're part of You shouldn't feel bad about it. You're simply part of Tonight, the discussion, as far as I'm concerned, what we're discussing is crisis chinuch. This is where my passion is. We need to help the kids who are falling into it, who are struggling. We need to know how to help these kids. For me, that's the subject. That's the sugya tonight. Okay, Reverend Russell, we're not going to waste any time here. We're going to jump right into it. I'll start off with the first question, okay? Anybody sure. wants to ask a live question, please text us. We're going to try to first get through a few general questions. If we have time for a few, you know, live, we'll do it. Um, me, and, me and Coach Menachem worked very hard on this, so we're going to try to really get through it. First, Richard, I, may, Jay, before you ask the question, if I can say this, given the time frame, any answers I'm giving are very, very short and concise. I'm guessing, I know it's coming. I, I know it happened last time. Every question is a course, is an hour, hour and a half discussion just to really like break it down. Every question. Imagine this, we're giving answers in like two minutes 
to huge sugyas that will leave everyone like, well, how do I do this? Well, how do I do that? This problem, that problem. I'm just begging everyone, you know, understand that. We're giving short, concise, just we don't have time for in-depth clarification. Take an idea and go work with your own Rob, your own therapist, and expand the idea and see how to apply it to you. Well, let's take a quick poll. We put together a quick poll just to get everybody a little bit engaged. I don't want to waste too much time, but I think it's important. We're asking two questions. Everything is anonymous, so everybody, please feel free to answer. We want to get a general feeling of the crowd. Where are you on your journey? Question mark. As far as your children. A, there's a lot of answers here, so choose the right one. Our child is Baruch Hashem doing good. B, our child is doing good, but we're becoming a little concerned. C, we see some worrisome behaviors in our child. D, our relationship with our child has gone sour. The next answer, five, our child has hit rock bottom. And the last answer is our child is Baruch Hashem coming back. That's the ready to recovery answer. So everybody, please choose the first question, one of those answers. The second question is, what are we doing to cope? What are you doing to cope while you're in this journey? Four answers. A, we are really lost. That's why we came here tonight, Robert Russell. B, we are in therapy. C, we joined a support, support group. Or D, it's a tough answer. It's still too hard for us to face the challenge. We're not sure what to do. Everybody, please answer. Let's go. We have five seconds. Want to just get a feeling from everybody? Wow. Robert Russell, you could see the answers. Nobody could see it until I share it. Well, well. Five. You're not surprised. Four. Three. Two. One. Okay. End it. Sure. Sure. Well. Okay, everybody, here's the answers. 40% of the people say our Charles Berkshire doing good. If they're coming here, which is great to get a, a mind. Usher, Usher, that. stop one second. If you look at the first one, 14% child is doing good, and 5% the child has come back. That's 19%. I said there's about 10 to 20% of the kids are doing fine. Go we're ahead. On, we're on target. Are these rigged? Are these results rigged? Are these mail-in ballots? What's going on here? Right. Our child is doing good, but we're becoming concerned 15%, and the winner is we see some worrisome behaviors on our child, 37%. Our relationship with our child has gone sour, 16%. Our child has hit rock bottom, 13%. Our child has come back, 5%. The second question, we are, what are we doing to cope on the journey? 31% of people say we're really lost. Robert Russell, you see that? 31%. Yep. 22% of the people say we're in therapy. And the 34%, we joined the support group, which is great. And 30%, it's still too hard for us to face the challenge. Wow. So between 60 and 70% are worried, they're concerned, the relationship's gone, gone sour. That's the 60, 70, 70. That's the, it's unbelievable. That's the figures I just gave you. That's what we're concerned about. That's the 60%. It's right you're there. On, you're on target. It's unbelievable. Amazing. Okay, let's go. Let's go. I don't want to waste time. I want to, I want to try Great. to get as many questions as possible. Let's start with the first one. Our kids are still young. This is more preventative. You know, I want to get into that. Our kids are still very young. And Baruch Hashem, they're doing good in family and at home. Those are the 20% we spoke about. We, we see what's going on in the world. And there's so many good, fine families there. And there's the kids are, that are disconnected and not interested in Yiddishkeit. Is there anything we could do now to prevent it? Okay, so look, it looks like that question is discussing resilience. And the fact is in order to do well in our system, our kids need three things. Firstly, they need a really good relationship with their parents. Then they need to be gebenched naturally with good midas, good emotional and mental health, and good scholarship skills. And lastly, that they don't go through any, go through any form of trauma. See, if any one of the above are missing, then the chances are high that the child will struggle to make it successfully through the system. 
So, so let's see if we can quickly understand what our kids need in order to be resilient. Resilience means bouncing back. It means you go through problems, difficulties, and struggles, but you have the internal strength to bounce back, get over it, and get on with life. So the two things that we as responsible parents technically do have control over are A, providing our children with a picture of a loving, respectful marriage, and then providing our children with healthy attachments with us by learning and implementing the four S's of attachment in our parenting. And more on that. Give a minute to come back. It's not been happening. We take over. <laughs> He's there. He's there. Russell, you, you got a little frozen. That's short, it looks like. That's mostly Nishamayim. And we sometimes have no control, unfortunately, over. Menachem Anigan. I think I disappeared. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if you're internet. back. You're good. You're back. Yeah, I'm sorry. I don't know what happened. You just disappeared. Okay. For a okay. And some see we have no control over whether they'll experience trauma. That's it. We've got no control. Things just happen. That's exactly the point. Unfortunately, tragically. So therefore, here's the answer. Number one, work on your marriage. As is well known, the greatest gift that you can give your child is the love you give your spouse. This is the most important thing we have to do. And secondly, learn and do the four S's of attachment. We have to teach our kids how to attach to us. That gives them resilience for life. And those, those of you that know me well, you know I talk about this every single opportunity I have. Let's quickly review them. Take two seconds. The four S's of attachment are safe, secure, seen, and soothed. Safety means safety from any of the five forms of abuse. That's physical abuse, emotional abuse, psychological abuse, sexual abuse, or spiritual abuse. We have to make our kids feel safe as they go through life, that we are protecting them and caring for them. We have to make sure they feel secure about their lives, secure about the marriage of their parents, that we love each other and care for each other secure about how a Shabbos table looks, that it's a safe and secure place to be at, that they're going to enjoy it. It's not a place of yelling and control. We have to make them secure in their lives. We have to make sure our kids feel seen by us. That means that we notice their uniqueness. We notice what's special. We notice what's what the God-given gifts that our children have. We reflect it back to them and show them who they are, not who we want them to be, but who they are. And we, we, we rejoice in who they are. And finally, soothed that when they go through their struggles and difficulties, we're there to soothe them in life. The four S's, safe, secure, seen, and soothed, these, these are how we're going to help our kids. If we do all that, all that in marriage, and we, and we work hard on the four S's, the chances are that we'll do really well with your children, even if they go through traumatic childhood experiences, you know, God forbid but they will be resilient. They'll bounce back to protect our children. We must work on our marriages and we must work, work very, very hard on the four S's. Go ahead, Usher. What's You ready for the next question? Yeah, yeah, sure. My pleasure. <laughs> 
Okay, so this is a twofold. I have this feeling that my child is disgusting. The way she looks, her attitude, Chil Shabbos. I have a hard time being in the same room with her. At the end of the day, I think the feelings that I have are justified. You should, you should see what she looks like. What, I'm, what, am I, what am I doing wrong and what can I do to change this? And then there's another one. I'm being told to accept my child the way he is, love him for who he is and not what he does. Unconditional love. This is impossible for me. The things he does, the way he speaks to me, my husband, the destruction he's making in my house, the friends he brings home. How? Well, okay, so this is, you know, I, I, most parents with struggling teens will resonate with that question. Firstly, I truly, I understand your pain. I mean, you've suffered a real loss. The image you had of whom your children were meant to be, that's gone. The picture you had at the Shalom Zacher, the Kiddush, you know, when you had that child and you had all your dreams and hopes and, and wishes and longing for who that child was going to be isn't there anymore. And it's very, very painful to watch that. Even though in truth, you know, we all have the unrealistic expectation. You know, every one of us thinks we got like the Rizkarov over here or Sarishnir over here when we have a baby. We think we got the reincarnation. It came to us. And it's very painful to realize that that's just not happening. The thing is like this, no child chose this path. There's no such thing. Chances are they've experienced some form of trauma. And you don't yet have strong enough attachments with your child for them to feel safe enough with you to help them process their trauma. That's why you're so angry, you're so hurt, you can't look at them. I understand that you're still locked up in your pain, but you have to realize your child is in far greater pain than you are. You are. Their behavior reeks of it. I once gave a marshal that Lama Zogi want to send a, uh, a gift across the country, you know, a, something fragile, you know, a vase. You want to send it to a relative across the country. So you package it in a box and you put in, you know, bubble wrap or those little uh, pellets, those styrofoam pellets. You package, you tape it up to, from, you take it to the post office. Right before you send it, you put, the last thing you do is put a red sticker on that package before you mail it. And the red sticker says, fragile, handle with care. So I want to tell you, when you see your child dressing, acting in a way, their clothing, their hairstyle, you know, piercings, who knows, who knows what, but you see them dressing in a way that causes you so much pain, you have to realize that what you're seeing is simply that red sticker, fragile, handle with care. They're hurting far, far more than you are. And you have to get your own pain out the way. This is, you know, we have to realize that what our children deserve is no different than what we as clearly saw were given a gift from Rabbi Nishalayim. When, when Hashem took us out of Mitzrayim, he took us out Mem Tes Shari Tumah. But why? That's pretty dangerous. Nun is gone. We're gone. We're finished. Why Mem Tes? Why not Mem Ches, Mem Zayim? I mean, take us out when it's safe. And the answer is Pashut. It's like Kodesh Baruch Hu took us out of Mitzrayim without schusim of us. We had no schusim through our mitzvahs, through our behavior. He took us out because we're beneath B'chari Yisrael. We are his children. And he loves us. And that was crucial. Because throughout generations, we always look back and say, we have beneath B'chari Yisrael. It doesn't matter how we behave. We are his chosen people. Well, guess where our children 
are meant to learn that from, that concept from, that they can transfer that to Rabbeinishtam when they get older. Because that was their experience with their parents. That despite their behavior, despite their dress code, despite the way they were acting like a Mitzrayim, they had the mem they could they could be at Mem Teshari Tumma, but you're Benibachar Yisrael, you're my children, you're my child, and I love you. And if we can do that, Dafka, when they're behaving in a way that causes us so much pain, if we can get deeper and see their pain, if we can see everything they're doing is that red sticker, fragile, handled with care, if we could just see that for what it really is and communicate to our children that we love you despite it all. We love you because of your metzias, your metzias, you're my child, and therefore I love you. Then when they get through this, God willing, they can transfer that to Rabbanishon too. You know, they, we, will, we will give them their lives back. You have to realize they have more pain than you have. And hopefully you'll see those behaviors instead of as offensive, you'll see them as a fragile handle with care sticker. Okay, here we go. Next one. I cannot see myself sending my son to yeshiva for struggling kids. I want him to be in a normal yeshiva system. By the way, he's out of yeshiva for a while and is not being seen during the day. As a parent, I don't believe in letting them do what they want to do. Also, my son, nine years old, to say carbonus every day by davening. Am I asking too much? That's what my father did to me. Well, <laughs> I, I appreciate putting this question in because truthfully, I believe the question is asked sincerely, really sincerely. It's really hard to let go of the Messiah that this person's having a hard time. The challenge, forgive me, for this person who wrote it and everyone who resonates to it, the challenge is clearly yours, not your son's. The Torah teaches us, you know, according to their needs, not your needs. Please forgive me for saying this, but as a responsible parent, you must put your child in the right school for him, not the right school for your ego. You have to put him in a place that's the right place for him. I'll tell you a quick thought. The Pasuk in Hazino says, Remember the days of old, remember the years of every generation. Ask your father, he'll tell you. Your Zayda, he'll tell you too. So people, the Bali Musa, the Bali Hasidus, they touch up these psukim as Messiah, teaching us about Messiah, remember all the generations of us. Ask your father, ask your Zayda, there's Derech HaMessirah, Derech Saba, there's a way to be Mechanic, our children. And we have to do it the way it was always done. That's what the psukim seem to say. I'd like to say a bit of a deeper insight that, that, that makes it more relevant. Remember the days of old. Yes, we have to anchor our chinuch of our children in the way the Messiah, the way it was handed down to us through generations, through our parents, our zaydas. Yes, that's the anchor. We have to try to do that. You mentioned korbanas. You know, it's, it's a beautiful thing if you could do it. That's the beginning. It's all wrapped up in that line. What's the hemshech? Binu shnois dovador. Binu is bain loshen havdala bain zevazeh? Understand between two things. Binu is bain zelazeh. Understand and differentiate. Shnois is shinuyim darvador. Binu understand the shinuyim, the changes of every generation. While you have to do try and get your your mesores and the derech sol It's true, but you have to realize 
that every generation needs subtle differences and we have to adapt and change. We can't force on everything. As you read the Sadaris, the terrible you read the Sadaris, and we have to understand and give our kids a chinuch that's relevant to them, not what's relevant to us. We have to allow for shinuyim, subtle shinuyim, and sometimes profound shinuyim. We have to let things adapt and change while we're trying to achieve the same goal of Zechayim HaSodom. If you don't believe me, says the Pasuk, Shalavicha v'yagidcha, ask your father, he'll tell you. Skenecha v'yomerloch, and the Zayda, the grandfather, he'll say it to you too. They'll both tell you that they had to let go with Chinuch. They couldn't do the same thing as the previous generation. They had to let it go too. There's one difference. It says like this, Shalavicha v'yagidcha, yagidcha is a hard wash, loshen hagoda. Ask your father, he'll tell you. He'll tell you, but he's having a hard time with it. It's Loshan Haggadah, Yagidcha. Ask your Zayda, he'll say it to you softly, because your, your Zayda understands, the grandfather understands. He let it go. Let it go. You have the general picture, but you have to allow for subtleties. Put your child in a school that belongs to them. Get rid of your ego. Put them where they belong and allow for the shinoim of every, every generation and what, what, what your child needs and what he's able to do. And Lani is dati. It's a very rare child that's going to be able at age nine to do kobanis. Forgive me. Let's go. I just want to read one comment before we go to the next question. Somebody was texting here live. Um, I resonate so much with Robert, with Robert Russell just said about a child being in more pain than the parents. I'm a parent now, but I have been through a horrible childhood and the suffering so much as a result. Please tell everyone that he's right. The pain is beyond description. Thank you. Next it really question. Is. It really is. I'm validating you. Thank you. I appreciate it. I feel better. It's great. Where should a person start working on his ego? How and where? Coach Menachem. Go and speak to Coach Menachem. He'll help you. Everyone should find their Coach Menachem. The real one or the, or the one, the other one. But either way, find one. That's our next question. The next question. Many times. By the way, by the way, Rabbi Nachem. The whole Torah is about working on your ego. If you're keeping Torah mitzvahs, it's all about getting rid of your ego so that you can give yourself to Rabbi Nishalayim and not be busy with yourself all day long. That's really Rosh Hashanah's Elul. What's, what's Elul? Ani l'doidi v'doidi li. Give up your Ani. Give up yourself l'doidi to Rabbi Nishalayim. It's Nesiv Hashanah's Lord, Nishmayim. Ani l'doidi. Give up your Ani to Hashem. Give up your Neuchis, your ego to Hashem. And trust that Dodi Li Hashem will take care of me. That's, that's the essence of that's bittle, basic bittle. That's it. Give up. But you yourself. want, but you want him to have it when he's bringing up his kids. He's gonna oh, have it maybe when he's ninety. He's maybe kids. when he's eighty, ninety. No, it's the only way he's gonna see his kids. Anyway, go ahead. Rupert. Okay. Go ahead. Many times I'm posing a question to Abanim or Mechanchim regarding our teenager, whether we should allow him to do something or get something that we don't want. In response, we we get from them that to let them do what they want and get it. Because if you don't, they'll anyways go behind your back and do it or get it. Is that really the underlying approach to take with teenagers? Isn't there a line that can be, can be crossed and sometimes even if they ultimately, ultimately go behind your back, isn't the parent allowed to say how they truly feel about it? Uh, so this question, you know, it, it, it wanders between regular chinuch, crisis chinuch, struggling, everyone. Yeah, well, let's clarify. First of all, the, the, whoever the rabbonim and mechanchim are who are advising this person are very wise. They absolutely have it on target. Yes, there are times when you have to let go and let them do it. 
we're discussing the sugi of struggling teens. Yes, they will probably go behind your back and get it or do it anyway. And when they do it, they move yet another step away from taking you, the parent, seriously, from respecting your values or authority. See, you think it's clever that they're going to go behind your back. It's not. It undermines their relationship with you and empowers them and lets them, it diminishes in them their chashivas for you. It's really bad. But I'll tell you another point. You know, you're questioning, shouldn't they know our values? Shouldn't they know, you know, we have a chiv to teach them our values? I've got news for you. They already know how you feel. They already know your values. I can prove it to you. Imagine the following. You think your kids, they're challenging your values. That's true. But you think they don't know your values? I guarantee you they know your values. But there's a really simple way to find out. Tell your kid, I'm going to put together a multiple choice test of all my key values. And you write down your 10 key values of the things you believe they need to know, which you think they don't know. Write down 10 things of your values and give them a multiple choice test. And then tell them like this, if you can identify all my values correctly, then I'm going to give you $1,000 and a trip to anywhere you want to go in the world with your best friend. The two of you can go and have a good time for one week and here's $1,000 to enjoy yourself. If you can identify correctly my values on this, this list, does anyone think for a second your kids won't get them right? It isn't an issue of, I want them to know my values. They already know you. They probably knew it by the time they're eight years old. They know your values. They know how you feel. What you're saying is, I want to enforce my values. And that's not going to work because that's not who your child is. They're going to develop some of their own values about life. So let go of this idea of they've just got to know. they just got to know as if somehow there's some magic. They already do know. I've got news for you. They already do know. And it's really, really dangerous to let your kids go behind your back and get it or do it, as you said in your question. Because if they do that, they will diminish their chashivas for you. You have to work with them. You've got wise rabbanim and mechanchim. I really recommend you listen to them. Now, here's some better approaches, depending on where they're holding right now. Try starting a conversation with them. Let's let them know the outset, listen to this, that you will not try to stop them. Tell them specifically. I understand you want a, a what did you say, X, Y, or Z? I understand you want that, I want to do that. I will not try to stop you. If you want it, that's yours. However, however, what I would really appreciate is the opportunity to talk through with you, like why I think this issue is not a good idea for you. If you take away the issue of control from your child, that should help you to try and connect with your child and have a meaningful conversation. Once you told them, I'm not going to fight you and control you, I just want to talk to you about why I think it's not healthy for you. Suddenly they're interested in listening because they're not being threatened by being controlled. If that doesn't work, Look away and stop fighting with them about it. Let it be. They will know and they will appreciate that you looked away. And that may even make them feel safer to talk to you about what's really going on in their lives. It's not like they don't know or they think you condone it. They know darn well that you don't believe in it. You think it's wrong. But you looked away and you didn't fight. That helps the attachment. It helps you connect with them. 
And by connecting with them, again, you have a chance to talk to them about it. And I want to mention one other thing. Let's say that doesn't work either. And your kid is in really serious crisis and you simply can't stop them and there's no conversation and nothing's going to happen. If all else fails, and I hope you understand what I say when I say this, consider helping them to get the thing that they want or do the thing they crave to do. Consider helping them with X, Y, and Z. Chances are, are that whatever it is they want to do or get that you object to, for them, is right now a crucial medicine for them that they need right now to survive. Showing them that you understand this can be a total game changer for your relationship with them. Understanding that, that they, it's not that they have values, they think this is right. They need this thing to get through their lives. For them, it's medicine. They're, when they realize you understand that, and, and, and in the worst scenario where you have to actually help them get the thing they need, the thing that you object to, it connects them with, them with you. It makes them feel, oh my gosh, my parents really get me. And that can then facilitate developing the attachments, developing the relationships, which ultimately will help your child. Okay. Okay, we have a lot of, I just want to tell everybody, we have a lot of questions jumping in over here and a lot of live. We're just trying to get through like a certain segment because we had so many emails. We're trying to really combine them and these are the general questions in an overall statement. So everybody's texting, please feel free to text. We want to get to live questions. We're just going to get there. Um, Abusha, it's okay. I'm going, I'm just being a short and concise. No, 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 it's amazing. I, I think it's amazing. It's okay. I think everybody understands that this is just a, a toy on to take it and run with it and to really grow with it. It's not going to, you know, it's not the magic answer that is, it's not the magic pill that is looking to lose weight, you know? <laughs> I'm telling you, as, I, as I'm answering them, I'm realizing each one of them, I'd love to speak for an hour. I'm just trying to capture the essence of Some what Some of the think. emails we got were over a page long. They were so detailed with such a personal, you know, story. So they're, they're well, very detailed. So this is basically a follow-up. How do we motivate and instill our values to the teenagers that do not feel connected or even sometimes angry at the way the Frum community treated them? Well, okay. Maybe we'll do the teen one. We're going to talk about this more when we do the teens. But look, you have to start by validating your children by validating their experiences and validating their feelings. This is crucial and necessary, or they will not be interested in anything you have to say. As, as Coach Menachem said before, validating does not mean that they now think I agree with all their sheeters, beliefs, and feelings. What it really means deep down, and it has to be genuine, is that I, your parent, really feel for you. I understand your experience and your feelings, and it's really crucial, I'm telling you, otherwise there's nothing, you can't do anything useful. Why would your team listen to you? Why would they listen to you when they express such you know, strong feelings? If they, if the first thing they hear is you shouldn't talk like that. You know, I've heard of kids who've gone off the derrick. Literally, they remember the moment when their heart like clicked off. They remember it distinctly. And it was the moment they asked such a question and the response was, we don't talk like that. We don't ask questions like that. We, we, we don't discuss that. You can't do that. You can do anything you want. You can ask anything. We need to validate the kids. That's the first thing. Then you have to recognize it can take years for them to come and appreciate your values. It could take decades. It could take 20, 30 years. It may never. Right now is not the time to instill the values in them. Again, now is the time to be with them. 
just connect with them. I'm with you. This must be really, really, really hard for you to go to school every day, to listen to, to values and cheetahs being explained to and principles of life. But right now, you're having a very, very hard time embracing, accepting, and internalizing. And I'm forcing you to go to the school day after day after day and listen to all this. Must be really, really, really hard for you. Connecting with them, understanding and being with them, that facilitates the possibility that they will think, oh, so my parent understands me, but maybe some of my parents' values are relevant to me. If my parents not relevant to me, I'm sure the values are not. Furthermore, now's the time to love them more, not less. What they can't see is you're walking around miserable and unhappy the whole time because you know they're expressing their frustration with the from community and you're walking around terrified in fear, which interferes with your ability to love them. They desperately need your love. Demonstrate that love as frequently as possible. It's really, really crucial. They're in pain, terrible pain, and they need that love. Consider getting them a mentor. You know, people like tend to push their kids to therapists or rush them to some, you know, Bal Machshava who's going to like explain it all to them. That's not what they need. Most of the kids like this need a mentor. They need someone relevant to them that they can connect with someone authentically from, but at the same time, someone who's contemporary, someone who can connect with them and relate to them and understand them. So they have somewhere an outlet to talk about their feelings and they do it in the context of a safe person, a good mentor. That's usually the best place to go. You need to get them into a yeshiva or a program that appreciates and values them. Not a place that's good for your ego, as I said before, but a yeshiva or program that can understand their struggles and their issues that allows these kind of questions. It has to be a yeshiva or a program that can fully and openly know exactly where they're holding right now stooping your kids into the wrong yeshiva, where they're simply going to hear again and again, pounding them with shitas or values, ashkotas, that they're not holding by, is going to make them worse. It's going to destroy them. They need to be in a program where the anholas say yeshiva, where the yeshiva is set up in a way where it is completely okay to talk about your struggles and difficulties with Torah mitzvahs. We're okay with that. Discuss it with us. We'll help you with it. You have to put them in the right program. And let them see you personally and consistently, you as parents, live the best of Torah values instead of preaching or talking about the best of Torah values. Simply live it. They need to see it and watch it and experience it, which is the essence of of love you, love your friend, love everybody. They need to see you living a life of Don't preach and talk about the values of Torah. Simply live it. Rabbi Russell, um, let's take one live question in between over here. AG, I'm putting you on. Hi. Hi, how are you? Can you hear me? Yeah, we hear you loud and clear. Okay, so the question that I have is, in the situation where a child wants, and I'm going to use a very specific example, um, the kid wants a smartphone. So does the parent have to get it for the kid, or is it enough to say that we won't stop them from getting it because I – we resonate, and I understand exactly what you're what you're saying in terms of, of of understanding where the kid is coming from. But does the parent have to? Do the parents have to actually go out and get it? Um, 
or is it just enough to say, listen, we understand, and, you know, we're not going to stop you. And, and um, you know, we, we realize that it's, that it's poison, but that, that's why I'm not going to actually give it to you, but I'm not going to stop you from getting it. Yeah. Now, let me just give you just a, a little bit of background, is that, that every other adult in the family has a smartphone. I just want to just, you know, add that as an ingredient to the, to the question. Sure. So I sort of answered this question already, but I'll take it. it by the way, this is the number one question today in Clarisol and in children. This is it. You just that's the question. So I'm glad you just asked that question on behalf of everyone listening. Any, any parent that has a teenager, half this has is that biggest, question. Typical, even for healthy, normal kids, this is the biggest issue. I've dealt with this issue multiple times. Yeah, it, it is posture. So the question like this: There's no one shita answer to this question because it depends on where your kid's holding. You know, what age your child, if I give an answer to this, someone's going to say, oh, Russell said an eight-year-old wants a, a cell phone, you have to get them a cell phone. It's nourishing. Obviously, it's like this. It works, you know, like step by step. If, and you, which you should, do everything you can in a healthy way to have healthy attachments with your child so that you can explain to your child why a cell phone, a, a, a um, smartphone is not good and safe for them, you should. There's no way you should give a kid a smartphone. It's mishuga. It's crazy. It just is mummish destructive. It, it's ricious, Poshut, to do that. But there comes a stage where as your kid gets older, you recognize that they can easily go and get it themselves. And they might well do that. And as I said before, when they, if they've reached a stage where you know very well they're probably going to get it themselves, you know, if they're still talking to you about it, as I said, it's Kadai to tell them, look, I'm not going to control you, but I would like to have a conversation with you. That conversation is crucial, where you can actually, as a parent, act responsibly and talk to them about the dangers and perhaps put some limitations on it. You know, if you get, I want to tell you, I've seen this many, many times. If you get the smartphone yourself for, let's say, an older teenager, you know he's going to get it anyway. You can't stop him. It's so much better if it's your smartphone, if you paid for it, if you showed them I understand what you need. And very often when they're slightly younger as teenagers, I've had teenagers 100% willing to put filters on their smartphones, to have timeouts on their smartphones, to give it back at night. They shouldn't have it in their bedroom. You know, if they're still in the yeshiva system, when you connect with them and you understand what they, what they need, and you can find, again, I'm talking in a case where you know perfectly well they are about to go and do it themselves and you cannot stop them. So when you go and do it, if you would actually buy it for them and talk to them about it, you have much more input. I don't, not the word control, because you have very little control, but you have much more input with your child on how they can manage that smartphone in a way that's going to be the least destructive for them. I can tell you this. Fighting your kid about a smartphone. I'll say a clown goggle and then we'll go on. Fighting your kid over, I've seen parents who fight, they go in and they do the whole FBI, CIA, you know, they'll find that smartphone in their kid's room under the mattress or whatever, and then they dramatically smash it and break it to tell the kid, you know, how bad this smartphone trades and tariffs. So I want to tell you very, very clearly, the destruction of your relationship with your child by destroying their smartphone is usually worse than the destruction as bad as it is to your child for whatever it is they're going to do with the smartphone. The destruction to that child by destroying your relationship with your child and turning it into a war zone, an antagonistic war zone, 
that's usually 99% of the time far worse destruction to your child's life and development than if they would be hurt by the material they're actually going to see on the smartphone. So the smart move with the smartphone, if they've reached the point where they're going to get it anyway, is go get it for them. Don't be a nutter. And then talk to them about it. Look, I'll get it for you. And we'll put a filter on it. And we'll have something good on You'll see they'll do it. They'll work with you. And it'll it'll repair and enhance your attachments. They're not looking to be evil. you got to realize that. The kids are just in pain and hurting. And we need to be relevant and connected that we can help them. I hope that answers your question. Amazing, Reverend Russell. Okay. Um, next question. A little bit of a hard one. You ready? Yeah. Again, this is multiple questions. We combined it. So if you take the examples and not so literally, it comes in a lot of different forms. My son comes home to tell me that he's been experimenting with drugs and being physical. How do I control my initial gut reaction? Physical, of you mean, what's saying physical, I'm not sure, physical with girls or boys, girls? I, I, I think you could figure it out the rest. Whatever, okay, whatever you it. want, Rev. Russell. Got How it, do I control it. my initial gut reaction okay. of shock when I feel overwhelmed by what he is saying? And how do I balance by being open and accepting so that he continues to share and also act like a parent that disapproves the behavior, like that balancing act? Okay, so the boy comes home and announces. Also, this is why you're here tonight. <laughs> a teenager comes home. This is an old, old, old question. I've been dealing with this question 25 years or more, at least 25 years ago. At least I went to Marina Steinman, and I asked him about a 16 year old boy in Lakewood, found a girlfriend, the parents were pulling their hair out, they'd gone crazy with sugar. The kid had a hard time in life, you know, really struggling terribly. And with, you know, I told the parents I was going to Tissot, and with their assurance, I went in and asked of Steinman what his das was on it. And he told me like this he said to me, Did the parents? love their child, their son, more than he feels from this girlfriend. He actually took my hand from Steinman and he said to me, when that boy looks in that girl's eyes and he sees love, do, does he feel more or less love from his parents? He said to me, go back, leave it alone and go back and tell the parents they have to love their child, their, their, their son, more than the love he feels with this girlfriend. Now, obviously that's not condoning or finally wasn't saying yeah right let's tell every her who doesn't feel he's got enough love he should go and find a girlfriend that's ridiculous that's totally ridiculous but let's understand what he's saying is your son in this case this boy is looking for love otherwise he wouldn't be doing this and yes just like every mature married adult finds love with their spouse this child is finding the same system looking for love what we have to do is give them more love when we find out that they're looking for love in a different place, in a place that's inappropriate, but it makes sense, it's logical, we have to give them more love than he can possibly find over there if we're going to help them at all. I'll tell you another point. Your son already knows that you disapprove of his behavior. I, I, I hear we're hearing this again and again and again. You don't need to reinforce it. Don't think for one second. Remember the multiple choice test. He already knows that you disapprove. This is not the time your son's hurting. Accepting him as your son in pain, who happens to need a girlfriend and unfortunately drugs to ease his pain, is the only thing that may start the process of reducing his pain so that eventually he won't need these things. Fighting him about his painkillers, which is really what the girl and the drugs are, they're his painkillers. 
and he's in pain. Like imagine you're going to take away from him the things that are reducing his pain instead of tuning in and reinforcing and finding other painkillers for him. You're simply taking away those angrily, which creates more pain. I mean, think of the logic. How on earth could that possibly help him? If you really want to know this, imagine yourself <clears throat> having a severe blinding migraine. One of the worst imaginable mi migraines you could have. You're literally lying on your bed writhing with pain. And next to your bed, there's some painkillers. And it's time. You're looking desperately for when I can take painkillers again. And you're about to take them. And your spouse comes in and says, no, I don't think so. There's things in here I once saw, you know, is not Kadai. It's probably not Kadai for you to take these things. I'm not sure if you should. And you've got a severe blinding migraine. Wouldn't you do anything, anything, almost anything to get relief from your pain? Of course you would. Your child is no different. If they're doing these things, it's because they're hurting. And these, the girl, the drugs, whatever it is, these are their pain. I'm not proving of it. I'm simply acknowledging the truth. These are your child's painkillers. If you're going to take them away, which you probably can't and shouldn't, but if you're going to try, Kolopachos, you have to give them better painkillers. The first step to better painkillers is love, tunedness, caring, sensitivity, and understanding of what they're looking for and why they're looking for. You know, a girlfriend of drugs. This is not cheaters. No kid wakes up one morning, scratches their head and says, you know, I've been thinking about life, looking at options. I think a girlfriend of drugs, I think it's a good way to go. I think it's logical. That's just ridiculous. No kid ever did that. No such thing. They are in blinding migraine level pain. And they found something to reduce that pain. If you could understand that and provide them something better to help them with their pain, there's a chance they may let go. Wow. Well, clear everyone, so I got to digest that one. Okay, we got a lot more questions. I want to still cover ground over here. This is a, it's a question. We got thousands of these questions. Literally, this was the, probably the number one question. How do I protect my younger kids from the struggling teenager who's inappropriate language and comes home high and drunk? I want the siblings to maintain a loving relationship, but at the same time, how do I keep appropriate boundaries? I want my younger son to love his brother and give him the message that we accept all Jews. At the same time, I'm exposing him to a very unsheltered life that is very different than his peers. Okay, so again, a great question. Probably the number two question that I get asked is about protecting the uh, siblings. How do I protect the siblings? You know, you're telling us, all you professionals, we've got to let this happen. They've got to have the smartphone. as the girlfriend. We allow this clothing, blah, 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 blah. You know, we've got to allow it all. But how do we protect all the siblings? So let, let's first start with this. Again, I once asked a very, very similar question this I asked this question myself to, again, to Ron Lee, and here's what he told me at the time. He told me, gather when the kid is not around, your struggling kid in pain, gather the rest of the kids together when he's not home and tell them your brother is in terrible pain or he wouldn't be acting this way. We need to learn how to love him and each other more, not less. We need our home to be a loving home must do that. You can tell his, the siblings that when we ignore his behavior or language, it's not because it's okay or acceptable. Of course it's not. That's obvious. It is, however, very understandable that for someone in so much pain, he's going to use, he's going to shout out, just like people, you know, in pain, they yell out and they express their pain. Well, he's expressing his, I'm not saying it's right, 
I'm just saying it's understandable. And we need to love him and each other more despite his language of behavior. We have to see through that. Again, it's that red sticker. We have to gather the kids and tell them openly and honestly. And you have to worry about we're allowing it, meaning it's, you know, we're, we're, we're condoning it. The kids know that. It's not true. They talk and know it. It's just completely ridiculous. I'll tell you something else. This idea of protecting your kids is also a weird idea because I can tell you now after 20, 30 years doing this work, the, with parents who do this work well, I've watched it time and time again, where the rest of the kids do not naturally follow him. It's true, if you have other children who have learning disabilities, who've been through trauma, where you're in a family where you still haven't repaired the attachments properly, then yes, it's very likely that, and that others of the children will go off too, will follow him and be triggered by him. But they're not really causing it. It's the underlying issues and struggles in, that they already have will be, it's true, will be connected to you know what's happening with him. And just as you've allowed him certain you know, permissive kind of behavior, and you're not, not that you're condoning it, you're allowing it, so the other kids will want that too. But that's simply because they're struggling too. If on the other hand, you have in your family strong, healthy children who are doing well, actually those kids learn from you amazingly mudim about Torah mitzvahs and about our responsibility to each other. They're the ones who are going to grow up to be the therapists, the social workers, the ones who are going to help others, the rabbonim and mechanchim and mentors. They're going to get a tremendous limit from you about how to be sensitive, caring, and kind to other members of Klausa. You're doing such a mitzvah to the other kids, and they're going to do that by being exposed to how you as parents in a healthy and mature and loving way handle your struggling kids. And I want to make another point. I think in the question, it sounded to me, if I remember right, that your concern is that we are exposing them to him. You know, we've got to stop it because we're, it's something like that, Rebusha, that you, we, we're worried that we're exposing, you know, our other children to him. I got news from you. You're not. You are definitely not exposing your other children to his behavior. Hashem is exposing them. It was a Kodesh Baruch Hu who determined to put these children together in your family. Well, you think it happened by chance? You think, I feel so bad that, that this kid is in this family and exposed to this brother or this sister. You need to realize, Rabbi Nishalayla puts those children in your family to be exposed to this situation. It's part of their tikkun. It's part of their journey. There's nothing absolutely nothing, especially where your children are in this world and what, what your children are going through. There's nothing that's not Minashamayim. A person can't stung his big toe in this world unless it's a chraza, unless it's a, a, a decree from above. I once asked, I went to, to Moreno Chaim Shlita and I asked him about a fascinating question. I had come arias for it, and I, I thought I'd seen it somewhere in the Zohar The children choose their parents. Parents choose their children. Before you come back to this world, in the based in Shomala, before you come back, you get to choose all the Tznoyachayim, all the circumstances of your life that you're going to be with. And I thought I'd seen one time that includes children choosing who their parents are going to be and parents choosing their children. 
That means they know they're going to go through this. So Asim Khan, if he knew the Makar, so he couldn't remember at that moment where the Makar was, but he said there is such a Makar. He actually told me I had a piece of paper in my hand that that's Taka the Makar, that I did have the Makar for it, but he made it emphatically clear, 100% before the children come back, they get to choose. Every Nishama chooses their journey, their exposures, their struggles, their issues. They choose what they're going to go through in this life. So you didn't, you didn't expose them. You didn't do this. HaKadosh Baruch Hu puts those children in your home because that's where they're going to be exposed to the things they need in order to fulfill their ticket. Unfortunately, I hope we can say they have you as their parent because you can help them all work out how to grow from this situation, how to deal with it. And even if you can't do it right away, even if it's going to take you a year, or five years, or 10 years, or 20 years, or longer. This is your job. This is why you have those children. They're not, you know, the children are not there by chance. They're there specifically, and part of their reason to be there is to be exposed to this, and your job is to help them work out how to handle it, deal with it, and hopefully how to grow from it. Go ahead. Okay, let's go to the next question. My 17-year-old son seems to always be angry. Even when uh, things seem to be seemingly okay, whenever I or my husband try to engage him in any conversation, he gets even more upset. He was always the type that didn't speak much to us, yet we never saw this angry part of him. Should we send him to therapy for anger management? And, and before we go on, this is a ninth grade boy, my son in ninth grade, I could see some changes in his learning. He doesn't seem to be interested as much as he used to be, and his moods also swing from quiet, secluded, to angry and upset. I believe he needs help. Where do I start? Hmm. Okay, so, so remember what I said before about the red sticker, the handle with care. It's partial that his moodiness and anger means that he's in great, great pain. He's probably, he's probably holding on to some awful secret that's eating him up alive. As a clown, I can tell you this. Sudden changes in mood from a pleasant, happy-go-lucky child teen to a moody, angry, withdrawn one is usually a sign that he's experienced some sort of trauma. And usually it's a sexual trauma that he's had, that's had such a strong impact on him. So unless you have a really, really good relationship with him, don't ask him, you know, did anything ever happen? Did anyone ever touch you? Don't, don't do that. He'll just deny it and become further withdrawn. It, it's true that all teens, you know, teens get moody. That's teens. But I'm reading into this question that there's a dramatic change from, you know, a regular, you know, he seems to be happy to seriously angry, moody teen. That kind of strong contrast and sudden contrast in behavior. That's not regular teen stuff, although all teens go through their moodiness. This kind of stuff tells me, you know, I read it, Pasha, as the red sticker. This kid has a secret. Something really painful is happening to this child. He's, he's hurting really bad about something. And it sounds to me it's locked up inside him. He can't express it yet. He doesn't feel safety. By the way, that's why, I said at the beginning, it's so crucial we work on our attachments with our children. The attachments, again, the safe, secure, seen, and soothed, because that facilitates a healthy, 
close relationship with our children where they feel safe with us. And therefore, if they go through something in life, they feel safe to talk to us because they won't be judged. They won't be criticized. They won't be blamed. They feel safe to talk to us. And those are the kids, it turns out, who are resilient because even if they go through trauma of some sort, they immediately, because they have good attachments to their parents, feel safe. They don't have to block it down and walk around sizzling and seething with hurt and pain inside because they have an outlet to go and talk to their parents who they know care about them and love them and see them and understand them. They can talk to us as their parents. So they, that's exactly the core of resilience. That's why those kids get over these, these traumas quickly. And that's why they survive. That's why people always tell me, you know, I know many kids who went through this, and they didn't go off the dirt. And I, and I, when I examine it, it turns out they're the kids who had incredibly healthy attachments with their parents. That's why it's so important. So unless you have that healthy relationship, if he's walking around angry and moody and disconnects, doesn't want to talk to you, don't ask him. He'll just deny it. I'll tell you one other thing. Please, I beg you, do not send him for anger management. In fact, don't even use that language on him. It'll infuriate him even more. You have to realize the anger, it's not like a midirah that this child has and we gotta knock it out of him. The anger is his vehicle to tell you he's hurting. You understand that you're gonna try and knock it out of him with anger management. It'll make him furious. It'll just actually convince him how out to lunch my parents really are, which will make him more angry because he has less chance or likelihood of being able to process what's hurting him. If you can, simply acknowledge to him that it's clear as day that you're really hurting very badly about something. If you cry when you say it, by the way, that means you've really got it. If you tear up, that is, you don't have to sit there bawling, it's not very healthy. But if you tear up when you say that as a parent to a child, and, and he feels the depth of your emotion, that it's real. I really feel bad. It's so clear you're hurting about something terrible. Ask him if he'd like to speak to someone confidentially, confidentially about whatever it is that's hurting you. Promise him you'll make it confidential. Tell him, you don't have to tell me. I won't even ask. But would you like me to find someone who you could talk to? And if you do it real and sincere and genuine, and he feels that you feel his pain, the chances are the anger will dissipate and he'll, he'll nod and he'll take you up on it. If he declines that, if he declines that going to a therapist, which most of them will, they're really scared. Most of them, unfortunately, they believe tragically that the therapist is gonna tell the parents. They're pretty convinced that somehow once the cat's out the bag, it's gonna come and hurt them. So many of them will decline that. But if they do, get him a mentor. A mentor is a first and really, really good step towards getting him the help they need. They, they, you know, a mentor connects with them and talks to them, you know, man to man kind of thing, and they can unburden themselves. And the mentor, part of his job is helping your child get the therapy he needs. So yes, you know, tune in again and realize that anger is not anger management. The anger is that red stick yet again. Okay, Rabbi Russell, let's try to hop around a few more questions. We have a bunch of live. I'm going to try to get to them. Um, we got a few different angles of this question, but we put it down like this. I've been in Chinech for a bunch of years, and I just wanted to get the understanding of how the therapy for struggling teen works. Uh, we want this, another question. We want to send our kids for therapy, yet there are those that say therapists can make the problems a lot worse. 
as well as turn the children against the parents. How could you make us feel safe about going through the therapy process? Okay, so very, very good questions. And, and I understand the concerns, you know, the, the fear of turning kids against their parents. You see, most competent ther therapists will never turn their child against the parents. However, here's what actually happens in the course of therapy. Initially, a therapist has to listen carefully to the teen's dialogue, to their feelings, what's going on with them. You have to listen to their complaints, their frustrations, anger with their parents, anger with their school, their rebbe, their teacher, their principal, and often anger with Hashem. You know, you're going to tune in and listen to that and understand it. In order to do your job properly as a therapist, especially with a struggling teen, a good therapist has to listen carefully and validate the teen's feelings. And it has to be genuine. The, or the teen will see through it and be turned off. So will an adult, but certainly a teen. They'll see through it. They'll be turned off. It's not a trick. It's not manipulative. It's real. These are genuine feelings of a suffering human being. And those feelings deserve respect and acceptance. So this stage of therapy in which the therapist connects deeply with the team could easily, easily last six months or more, just connecting with them, validating them, understanding them. They are so deeply needy of someone to validate their experience. When the team is ready, I'm just explaining the, the process, the therapy turns to helping the team look at themselves, look at their own choices and behaviors, and work out whether there's anything they can change in their own behavior and choices that could improve their quality of life. You have to wait for that. Successful people, especially teens in therapy, everyone eventually, if you're successful, you eventually understand that the only person you can ever really change is yourself. Others around you, see, they may change as a consequence of your personal changes with yourself. However, the focus of changes on yourself Understanding this is fundamental to both good therapy and having a good life. Now, here's the thing. During the validation and connection stage, that first beginning stage of therapy, it's common that teens feel the validation and support of their therapist. And when they go home and they feel provoked by their parents, they will very likely say things like, even my therapist thinks you're a jerk. They could do that. They'll say it. This is natural and common. Wise parents and mechanchim understand that they must indeed have just provoked their teen. However, they also understand that the teen is understandably interpreting the therapist's validations of their feelings. The teen, this is the teen's belief, means that the teen, the, that the teen feels that the therapist is agreeing with their beliefs about what caused those feelings. Actually, as soon as it's therapeutically possible, I like to tell my clients, the people I work with, that until we have your parents or your mechanchim in the room with us processing your feelings, I don't actually have, know what really happened between you. In the meantime, I do know how you feel, and I do understand your deep pain and hurts, and I do validate it. You see, they're going to exploit that. That's only natural. Intelligent parents or mechanchim understand when the teen, teen comes and says, yeah, even my therapist agrees, it never happened. What they're doing is they're taking the feeling of validation and interpreting it, interpreting it 
to mean that the therapist agrees. Of course, the therapist doesn't agree. How do you even know until you get two people together in the room? You don't know what happens. And you can pretty much assume, assume that the facts are slightly different than what have been told to you. I, personally, I've had many, many sessions together with teen clients and their parents and their magadchim. I've had Rosh Hashivas come into a session together with the team that had all sorts of tainers on them. And that session ended with shalom between them. And that's always the therapeutic goal. You need to know this. When you send your kid to a therapist, the therapeutic goal is shalom, is understanding. It's not about we got to fix the parents, that they're always wrong. It's ridiculous. The therapeutic goal is that each side have a better understanding and willingness to live with each other and respect each other's needs and lives. In the meantime, when the kid comes home and says, even my therapist agrees that you're an idiot. Some people are saying when they come back from therapy sometimes, they come back with their watch list. Oh, get me the cell phone. The therapist said, the therapist said I could do this. Yeah, and it's always not true. It's always not true. What happened, what actually happened is the kid, the therapist understood the kid's need for the cell phone, which the kid then goes home. It's the first time they ever heard an adult recognizing you. Do you know, most kids, if you have poor, I'll tell you this, it's amazing, but it's absolutely true. And there's all sorts of research around the world that's showing it's such a tragedy of our world. That if you don't work on the tech, why is my passion about attachment? Why is the passion about safe, secure, seen, and soothed? You have to connect with your parents deeply, profoundly, because everyone needs attachments. And what we need is healthy attachments. And if we don't provide healthy attachments, guess what? You know what the primary attachment of all struggling teens is? Their cell phone. Their cell phone is actually the primary attachment of their life. You see people can't live without, just ask, you know, person, look at the panic. The absolute panic, there you go. Look at the panic in people's lives when they discover they've gone to, they get in the car and they drive off and they haven't got their cell phone. They panic. The low battery, the low battery. It's, it's, it's mummish mind bug. A, a, a cell phone became a primary attachment vehicle. And certainly for teens in crisis and pain, that's where, that's their painkiller. It's a painkiller. It's the best, most efficient painkiller, which distracts them from their hurt and pain. There is no better way to fight the cell phone than to create healthy attachments with your parents where you can meet your needs with your parents and feel connected to your parents and then they don't need that cell phone so badly it's not such a fight and war about around the cell phone you have to realize that when therapists acknowledge the feelings of children so yeah the kids come home and say, my therapist said i needed my therapist said i needed was there my therapist understood you have to realize what the words really mean where the kid says my therapist said i should have a cell phone means my therapist for once someone understood why i want a cell phone and when a 17 year old comes home and said my therapist understood i should get my license even though the kid's high every night and drunk out of their mind and the parents are no way giving them a driver's license my therapist understands he my therapist says i should get a license really means reinterpret it means my therapist understands that at 17 i should want to have a driver's license that's a normal want and desire and my therapist understands that the, the, the kids just take that validation of feelings recognition of feelings and the kids distort that into my therapist said i should have it it doesn't mean that at all it never means that ridiculous what it means is that yes for once the child felt deeply deeply touched and if you're a parent 
what you need to say to your kid, even though they're maybe they're high and you can't give them the license, is I wish I could. I want you to have that license. I recognize you need it, right? If we're going to help the kids, we have to realize that. We've got to tune into their feelings. Unfortunately, for many kids, they get that in therapy and they don't get that at home. If they would get that really deep sensitivity towards their feelings, if we'd be more attached as parents, you wouldn't need to send them to therapy in the first place. Okay, Russell, let's take a live question. I think we can squeeze one in. Rella, you're on. One second. Unmute. Okay, can I can I be heard? Yes, you are. Thank you so much, Rabbi Russell, for your really heartfelt and wise words. Um, I've been working as a special educator for many years. I'm a parent too. Um, and I realize that you chose to this, your area of discussion is the really, the struggling Correct. teen. Would you, would you take a moment to move to the more, to the average and to the, um, you know, the regular teens? No, I don't think so. I think that would- You'd rather work, I, mean, is, okay. I don't mind doing an entire session on that, but that instantly becomes confusing. Cannot do that. It would really mess everything up. They would forget, you know, it's two different sugyas. I'm more than happy another time to do a session, if that's what's wanted, on regular teens, the 10 to 20%. No problem to my pleasure. I just think it would be terribly confusing to mix the two sugyas tonight. Right. So, because I just wanted to add that I was very impressed with what you said about giving them the structure and the um, restrictions and the kind of the hadracha in a sure. firm and loving way, which is... I they would love to it. hear more about that, yes. Well, they need it. I'll just make one comment, then we'll move on. You know, because I can't, you know, I don't want to do it. Not, to, you know, for that 10 to 20%, not to give them firm structure, rules, structure, and discipline is ultimately what all kids need to thrive and survive. That's what they need. For the 10 to 20%, that's easy. And it should be done in the way it was always done. And not to do it is vicious. It's terrible. It's ruining their lives. We have to give them rules, structure, and discipline. Really, it's the application of rules, structure, and discipline vary and changes when we're dealing with struggling teens, how you do that. And it's not the same. It's two completely different sugars. The, in, the, in the struggling teens and down, when you do it in the traditional way, you drive the kids away from you. And the whole purpose of rules, structure, and discipline is to develop a healthy child, not a rebellious child. The moment you see they're rebellious due to your attempt to implement rule structure and discipline, you're potter. You're simply potter from that. Now find a new mahal. But with the 10 to 20%, yeah, of course, that's what you should be doing. We shouldn't be afraid of it. Babusha, I'm, I'm done. Got it. Yeah, we'll go to the next question. How do we deal with extended family when they say ridiculous comments, such as the professionals are not guiding you correctly, or maybe you're not, your parenting is wrong. What, what do we do with that? Okay, now the classic, classic question. First of all, you have to, to deal with the extended family you know, who want to help you. You have to realize you have to deal with them respectfully and sensitively, even though it hurts terribly. And I'll say this to people who are listening who are extended family. It really, really hurts when people come up with all sorts of ideas to tell you why you know, you're doing this all wrong or what you're doing this wrong. They have no clue what's going on in your home. You know, but, but truthfully, they mean the best. They're just uneducated 
and probably they're almost certainly drawing from conventional chinuch values and trying to apply them to a situation of crisis chinuch. I can tell you, I myself, you know, is well known that I went through some of this with some of my kids. And I remember right at the beginning getting a scathing letter from a well-meaning person close to my family letting us know that it was clear as day that the reason it was obvious that we're struggling with our kids is because we let them go to the public library and get books from the public library. That's what's destroying their nishamas. And it was just so completely off target. It was so completely insensitive and painful and hurtful at the time to hear such things. You need to be very careful if you are the extended family not to offer help when you don't know what it is you're helping with. Regular chinuch advice hurts and fails in crisis chinuch. What you as the parent need to do with your extended family is offer them the opportunity to speak with whoever is guiding you to get a better understanding of the mahalach that you're using and that you're following to help save your child. I've met many, many, many times with grandparents or with extended family, you know, to explain to them and help them understand what the mahalach is so that we're all on the same page. For you as the parent, don't get angry with them. Don't debate them. It actually empowers them to believe you're crazy. They actually think you're crazy and misguided anyway. They, they really do. They think you're nuts. They pick on little details, as you well know, that you let them have a smartphone. You're crazy. And that's why you kept it off, because of the smartphone. They don't realize the smartphone was, you know, eight, nine years later, after the problem was actually bubbling up, you finally, unfortunately, had to give in to the smartphone. But they nail you on this. Oh, you see, you gave them a smartphone. You know, as if somehow that's your sheath is in life. You know, if you debate them or get angry and upset with them, they're going to think you're nuts, absolutely nuts. You have to offer them, understand they mean well, and offer them the opportunity to talk with who, whoever's guiding you through this suga. If they're able, have them watch. There's a number of videos of mine available online that explain the sugas in depth of struggling teens and the sugas of abuse. They're all online. You can just type it in and find them. Let them, if, you, if they're able to, let them watch some of these videos. I found that uh, letting them watch it change, is a game changer, literally a game changer. So understand them. Don't get mad with them. And, and, and offer them the opportunity to speak to whoever is guiding you. Right, Russell, I just want to read one comment from somebody, and let's go to the last question, then we'll go to closing, okay? Yeah. Somebody makes a comment over here. When, you, when people make comments to me about the lack of chinuch I give, I give them a bracha. May you never have the challenging situation I have that you will never have to understand the chinuch I need to give my child. Amen. Beautiful. Beautiful. Mamish beautiful. Yep, that's a very wonderful thing. Russell, I know you, I know you have a busy morning. And I know you, you have a hard stop time. So let's try to have one more question, then we'll go to closing, okay? Sure, sure. Question. I, find, I find it to be an interesting balancing act. My husband and I both grew up from, but I'm more accepting by nature. My husband, my son came home to tell me that he's no longer keeping Shabbos. If my husband would know, he would not allow him to stay at home. Where does my loyalty lie? Respect with my husband or accepting my child who is struggling? How do I balance the two? A balancing act. Oh, amazing, amazing question. Okay, so the answer is both. Absolutely. That your loyalties lie both with your husband, who you have to respect, of course, and not to you know, fight with him, and with your child. And in fact, in this case, you're, you have to help your husband crucial 
to come to terms with what's happening with your child because your child only has you. He's a child, he's not an adult. And so the goal, what you need to do here is take, talk to your husband, explain to your husband that, look, you know our son is challenged and, and struggling in life. You don't have to divulge yet about the Philoshavits. You don't have to do that yet. But if I were you, I would say to your husband, we need to get advice now before we really hurt our son. We need to get help. And I'm asking you, I'm begging you to please come with me. I'm going anyway to get advice and counsel for how to do this. And I would really appreciate if you would come with me. In fact, I've made an appointment to speak to someone who's a professional who knows how to do this. And I really, really, really would like you to come and join me in that session so we can discuss it together. In that session with your son's rishus, that's where you talk about what's actually going on. And that's where you expose your husband to the facts and reality. When you're in the embrace and the environment, the safety of a professional who can help you work out how to deal with it. You cannot abandon your child. Our children need us absolutely crucially. And there's a way to do it that's fully respectful and kind and understanding. It takes different people, you know, the different time to come to terms with it and embrace it and accept it. You know, we're all different. It's all a struggle to get over the ego. You know, the initial reaction of your husband to kick him out the house if I know he's not keeping Shabbos. Yeah, I probably every parent feels that somewhere in there. You know, their first reaction is probably a feeling like, what do I need this for? You know, as if it's about me. You know, Baruch Hashem, it only takes a millisecond for most of us to get over that. But I dare say that everyone has that feeling to begin with. Just get him out of my life. I'm trying to have a nice Shabbos here. Like, what do I, what do I need this for? You know, but once we recover, hopefully a millisecond later, we recover from that. For some people, that millisecond may take a few years. Could be. It could be. But I think we all get there eventually. So I think the respectful way is to tell your husband, I made an appointment. I'm going to speak to professional in general about the issues with our son. And I'd love you to be there and join me at the session. I think it's really, really crucial for us. And then get your sons with us that in that session, you point out to your husband, I've been waiting to tell you this. And I thought this was the best time because I know we both need help with this. It's so, so painful for both of us. Don't say for him. Don't make him look like an idiot. You dragged him into therapy, you know, in front of the therapist to be humiliated because he's not healthy enough to understand it. You say it both of us. I need help with this too. I just found out and I'm hurting from this terrible and I'm sure you would too. This is really hard for both of us. So we're here to get help. You know, you need to be respectful to both. I hope that's a good answer. Thank you very much, Trevor Russell. Again, I want to thank you for coming on tonight, Trevor Russell. I mean, I'm moved. I'm inspired. Uh, tonight, anybody who's obviously going through this and everybody from Kachanashi is watching it, uh, this is like, you know, drinking water after going, walking through, you know, working through the desert for a few weeks. So it's amazing. Obviously, again, we're just touching on some topics and opening up people's minds and ideas. And uh, I really appreciate you taking the time, waking up extra early for us and giving us the physical we need. Next week on the program, we're going to have Rabbi Shea's tab discussing what we're missing in our marriages some tips. It's going to be a real powerful, uplifting session. Really looking forward to seeing you all next week. Everything here tonight is recorded and will be available on www.menachembernfeld.com. If anybody has any questions for Coach Menachem or Rabbi Russell, Rabbi Russell, I just want to make a disclosure. Rabbi Russell is full, booked, <laughs> but he, he loves to see some of the feedback and the emails. We, we, we will forward it to him. Uh, again, you know, everybody has to turn to their local row of their people and try to, you know, 
really work from there and really help yourselves. Um, again, to hear this share tonight, um, and again, somebody texted, how do you join Keshe Go to the website, keshenafshi.com.org to figure out how to join. Tonight's share is number 19, um, and if anybody wants to listen to it, it'll be tomorrow on menachembrenfel.com. It's also pre-recorded. It'll be on a phone. People like to call by phone at 732-924-8464, option four. I'd like to give a special thank you to our uh, sponsor tonight. We pay for the share. It's Chos Rufu Shalema, Rabbi Yaman Zev Ben Zisel, the person who have a master of Shalema. All the, I, it was probably over 1,000 people here total, maybe more, that got tremendous chizik, and I'm sure that's a tremendous chus for this person. And the film we said together should really open up the Shara Shemayim. I give a special thank you to all our advertising sponsors, Lake Scoop, always for promoting us. Chazak, Rabbi Anif, always pushing us. Please check out chazak.org. This is Mika Sofer from COL Live, pushing us. I really appreciate it. I'd like to thank you to JCNN, Jewish Content Network, Kyla Kaufman, and Shmuel Summer for always helping promote our program and really get out there and helping so many people. And I'm um, going to turn it over to Coach Menachem, a few closing words. Then Rabbi Russell. Yeah. Start, start thinking now. I'm giving you the warning. Okay. Wow. So like, like what you mentioned before, before you started, that every answer over here was a full-fledged course. Right. And we're looking, we're looking forward to Mitchin for these courses so that you can have uh, But again, the, um, I want to tell the audience that uh, it's, it's work and uh, it doesn't go on one foot. Like we, to, to be able to change your perspective, to be able to change your thoughts, the way you look at things, and to be able to let go the ego, like we discussed, is really, really a lot of work, but uh, sometimes uh, we're forced to do it very fast. And like Russell said, the four S's that we discussed, the, what was it, Rabbi Russell? Safe, secure, seen, and soothed. Right, so can, you can say it very fast, but it's work. And um, I wanna mention again, the, the validation in general is very healthy for any relationship to be able to listen, even though you're thinking, I'm not, I'm not asking to anything that person says, but to be able to be there. And specifically in a validation, the self-validation, to be able to sit there with yourself and understand that you're going through, uh, it's, this is real struggles, and this is something that you didn't ask for, to be able to hear those voices with compassion and just sit there with it so that you should be able to continue, have koyach, and Hashem should be choyendas, all of us, give us all the koyach that we need to mechanic the kids, whichever level they are in, and be choyendas, our kids and us, to become closer and stronger to the Eivishter. Beautiful. Me, Rusha, Amal? If you want, I can do the closing, but I, I think yeah, the no, no. hear you. Yeah, okay, so let me just make a following comment that, look, no child that I ever met, ever, decided to be a struggling teen, to have problems, go to drugs, or a girlfriend, or a smartphone. There's no kid ever decided that this was like a logical, wise thing, and I just thought it through. Like, no kid ever went to ShopRite, you know, to buy the off the derrick complex, you know, every morning to eat it in the hope they're going to go off the derrick. That never happened. As a matter of fact, every child I know, every single one without fail, laments and mourns the loss of the disconnect that they wish and wish and wish they could have been able somehow to connect and stay with the program and with their family and be a nachas. They all wish that deep down. Only unfortunately, after years and years of suffering and pain and criticism and hurt, they feel lost. 
they just feel terribly, terribly lost. It's just that the pain is unbearable. So I want to make a comment about this. What we see when kids are hurting, when they're in terrible, terrible pain is defiance. They become very, very defiant. And that defiance is really, really hard for most parents to handle. They can't handle it. But I want to tell you that the entire shita, the entire approach to helping struggling kids is under the heading if I was giving the course, the title of the entire course would be these words, defy me more than I can love you. Try to defy me more than I can love you because you will fail. It doesn't matter how much you defy me, I'm going to love you stronger than you have the ability to defy me. My ability to love you is greater. And that's where if there's ever going to be magic to happen to heal the deep, deep, painful wounds that exist inside our children, and we have to realize it is deep, painful wounds. It's nothing to do with values and cheetahs and ashkapas. That's all secondary. Underneath it is incredible, incredible pain. When they defy you, you have the greatest opportunity to show you show them love, much greater than when they comply with you. Because when they comply and they wear the right clothing and they get the right hairstyle, so they never really know, does my parent love me because of my hairstyle, because of my clothing, because of the nachas I give them? Is that why my parents love me? Or do my parents love me because of my etzimitzias, that I am their child? And that's the level on which a child needs to be loved. By the way, when you're an adult and you have aging parents and you're in your 40s or 50s or 60s, you still crave that love from your parents. You still want it. Your parents are 80 years old and you're desperate to get and crave that same love when you're older. Anyone who denies that, it's just deniers and liars, will say it's not true. Everyone wants that love deep down. And our kids desperately need it. The whole sheet that we're struggling against is built around one essential concept. Try to defy me more than I can love you. You don't have to tell them to do it, by the way, because they defy just fine on their own. So you don't have to actually go home and tell them, Rabbi Russell said you should defy me. You don't have to tell them. They know just how to do that, just fine. But when they defy you, your attitude, your heart, your neshama needs to relate to the sugya as I want you to try and defy me more than I have the ability to love you because you will see you're wrong and you will see when you define me the most and I come back and love you the most. That's the hope. That's the hope a child would change. By the way, we're in the Shiva Dinechamta, the Haftarahs of this, this Tukufa from Tishabov, right, until Rosh Hashanah. So we said in the in Shabbos Nachamu, right, what's the Nechama of Shabbos Nachamu? The Nechama was, Bonim Godalti Viramamti then Poshubi, the Navi says, I brought up these children and they were Poshea. They were Poshea. They were murdered. They rebelled against me. But you know what the Nacham is? Hashem still calls them my children. Bonim, Gadalti, Baramamti. They're my children. They are my children. Even though Hashem Poshubi. That's the Nacham. It's the first Haftarah of Nacham. The greatest Nacham is that the children know we are his children even though we prosher, define me more than I can love you. When you try and you realize 
my capacity to love you is greater than your capacity to defy against me, then you will heal in our relationship with you. That's the Sylvia. Thank you, Rabashi. Thank you, Rabashi. Good night. Same time, same place next week. We'll see you, everybody. Thank you very much. Take care. My pleasure. My pleasure. Shalom, shalom. Be well. Bye-bye. Thank you.